the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 16. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning, Tammy. I am good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I had a big week, and I think you had a big week, yeah? I did have a big week. Want to share? Sure. (laughs) Uh, Yesterday, um, which, you know, will be a different yesterday than when this podcast drops, but I celebrated three years of sobriety. Yay, me. So awesome. I'm so, I was so happy yesterday all day for you, just over here in California, just like cheering you on. Thank you. I was pretty much on cloud nine. You know, (laughs) you, you, you. We're going to talk about fear later, but mm-hmm. <laughs> for some reason, I have some people talk about the fear of milestones, yeah. and um, but I have not experienced that, although I felt a little cautious, like, should I be scared or worried about this milestone? But no, mm-mm, just kind of cloud nine pretty much all day yesterday and all week, really. I'm still, I'm still on it. I'm still up there. I, I, yeah, I think, I think there's always before a milestone for me, it seems like whatever that, um, feeling is happens a few weeks prior to the milestone for me. True. And I did, I did experience a little bit of that and I did try to do some reflecting because, you know, you want to keep those feelings that you had when you initially got sober, you want to keep those fresh you don't ever want to forget the way that felt. Um, and so I did some reflecting, but man, I just really uh, like to live in the present more than I like to revisit the past. <laughs> and right. so, you know, I did some of that. I did some reflecting. I did some writing, but I feel really good. I feel solid and great. And um, I think I'll continue staying sober. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> oh, good, good. And did you, did you hit a meeting yesterday? Uh, I did. Awesome. I did. Awesome. Yeah. Did that feel good? It did. Yeah. It, it did feel good. And, um, I think I'll do it again today. So anyway, good. yeah, all good. And what about you? Um, yeah, this week was a little bit of a milestone for me too, in terms of I finished my step 12, which I learned, I guess I'm kind of already doing step 12 or have been doing this podcast mm-hmm. is kind of a version of step 12. And, yep, um, it is. anytime and, you reach out to anybody is a step 12. Yeah. So that was, I don't read ahead in that book. You know, I don't kind of okay. jump ahead of myself. So I didn't really, I kind of knew what it was. So for those who are listening that don't know the what it is, it's um, that you've had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing the steps of AA. 
and you try to carry the message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all your affairs. So that was pretty cool to go, oh, well, I've been, I've been doing my Ray of Light series and interviewing women. We've done this podcast together. I also learned that just by sharing your experience with anyone is a 12th step, right? You yep. know, you're just mm-hmm. spreading your sharing, not spreading, but sharing your story. Mm-hmm. So I felt kind of like, I know you're never quite done with the steps, right? It's just, right. it gets ingrained you're, in your life, but yeah, it felt good to be like, I felt like a little punctuation mark was what ha- happened on Monday and I felt kind of some relief, more relief, <laughs> always relief. Yeah. So that felt good. Good. That felt good. good. So, um, you, let's get into it today. We have, um, we have, um, an interview that we're going to share with everyone today. And, um, do you want to introduce her, Sandra, since you met her first? Well, sure. I will introduce her. And she's actually sitting right next to me. So that would be awkward if I didn't mention that part. <laughs> right. It's our first right. on location I, interview, right? Yeah, we are on location. So, uh, hi. Um, <clears throat> today we are going to interview Nicole Morgan. And um, Nicole lives here in Austin. She actually lives in my neighborhood. So how cool is that? Mm-hmm. Um, she has been featured in my, uh, as one of the unruffled in, on my website and Tammy, she was also featured on your site as a ray of light interview number 14. Uh, you can find both of those and uh, yours is an interview. Mine is just more of a uh, narrative, I guess, mm-hmm. um, at theunruffled.com or, or at tammysolace.com. Uh, Nicole is also an accountant by day, but she and I have a lot in common. She's a seamstress. She's also a knitter, and she is a ro- she does roller derby. Uh, she started a comment thread um, in our secret Facebook group for the podcast about fear and it got a lot of response and it kind of, it sparked a really cool conversation about fear and we wanted to continue the conversation on the podcast. So anyway, everybody say hello to Nicole. Hello. <laughs> hey Nicole. I wish I was there with you girls. I know. I have a feeling there could be extra giggling today so I'm just going to apologize in advance because we yeah. are very close in proximity. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very intense. <laughs> I brushed my teeth this morning, so I think we're good. <laughs> you guys are so, wait, this whole episode talking about fear, you guys are just fearless because that's, so it's one thing to, to, um, to do a Skype call in general, but true, we're like bypassing the Skype call with Nicole and just going, Hey, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to sit next to you and I'm going to be really close to you and record this whole thing. <laughs> Are you game? And can we do it in like two days on Friday? No. <laughs> it reminds me of, so I was a sociology major in college. It reminds me of um, experiments that we used to conduct as, in sociology where um, when you walked into an elevator and if there was only one other person on the elevator, you would stand extra close yeah, to them. Yeah, how close you could get. Yeah, we're like... Less than a foot apart. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Well, uh, payback for me is next week. That's happening with me with another interviewee. So I'll get my, I'll get mine. Um, but I think it's awesome. I think that it's great that Nicole, you were totally game. And your email to me was just to that effect. Like, yeah, this, my first inclination is, you know, to have fear, but so, so yes, I will do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. That means it's good. That means this is happening. So thank you very much for, for playing along. Um, so I wanted to just start it off for our listeners. I think you've listened to the pod, I think. Um, but we wanted to just kind of give a baseline for our listeners to just ask, you know, how long you've been in recovery or maybe how did you know that you needed to quit drinking and, and what that looked like for you? Just a short little background. Sure. So for me, it's a coming up on two years. Uh, 10, 29, 15 was my sobriety date. Um, and for me, I was never like an everyday drinker. I was more of a binge drinker, but like every time I could never stop at one or two, it would always like lead to, I'm going to black out at the end of the night. Um, but then on top of that, like on the weekdays, I smoked weed pretty much every single day. So alcohol was kind of like my fun party time. And then smoking weed was kind of like, oh, I can finally chill and relax. And so it was like, I was pretty much always on some sort of substance. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, I, I'm going to jump in. Did you use pot as like to differentiate your day? Like the, now I'm off work. Yes. It was yeah. like, now I can finally shut off my brain. And then like the weekend with drinking, it was like, and now I can have fun. So like they both had very specific reasons for me using them. And eventually it just got to a point. Um, I'm 30. I'm married. I don't plan on having kids. I'm settled. I have a career. Like what is my life about? And it was just feeling like very empty. And I knew I needed something more and kind of just started realizing, oh, it's because the only thing I do for fun is smoke weed or drink. And that's very boring, actually. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much I was just stuck and I needed to change. Right. It does become complete Groundhog Day, but <clears throat> you had creative pursuits before the, before you got sober, right? Yes. So um, I started sewing probably like three or four years ago. And even as a kid, I was creative. Um, kind of in high school, I went through like this weird sort of phase where I thought I wasn't creative. I was very serious. Like all the writing that I used to do, I stopped doing and I would do just journalism or I would write debate cases, um, like very academic type things. And I was like, fashion, stupid, art is stupid. I was just super intellectual. Basically. Oh, like all that frivolous stuff. Yes. And so I was like, creativity is dumb. And then I started drinking after high school and all of that sort of went by the wayside. And then I started slowly like dipping my toes back into like wanting to get creative again. Um, and actually the thing that's funny since we're talking about fear today is I would say probably weed a little bit more than alcohol, but both of them, I would feel every time that I would be like drunk or high, I would have this intense like feeling of fear if I had something big planned. So if I had planned, I'm going to go volunteer the next day or I'm going to start sewing a coat tomorrow, I would have like this intense feeling of don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Like you need to stay safe. And so half the time I wouldn't do those creative things Oh, because it got too scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So, <clears throat> so you would think the opposite though would happen, that that would relax you into going for it. It would relax me into thinking why am I trying to do anything? Like, shouldn't I want this little simple life? Like, shouldn't it be enough just to be happy and drunk? 
I don't need anything else. Like kind of that sort of thing. Like your life can be small and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I guess if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, it totally makes sense. I mean, I just, you know, if we're talking about physiology, I just got lazy after I would start drinking. I would just get distracted and lazy. And even if I had a project pulled out and it was all lying around me, all everything I needed, um, I just, it, it, I, I, I didn't have any energy to give it. Yeah. That was part of it. Or because for me, drinking a lot was like about, Ooh, time to celebrate. I would take a bottle of champagne into my sewing room. Mm -hmm. And so like I have, I've almost chopped off my finger with a rotary cutter or I have so much top stitching that's like super crooked. It's because I was drinking while I was sewing. Right. Yeah. This all sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Very familiar. I don't sew, but yeah, it sounds very familiar though. Okay. Well, that leads me to the question of just, do you think that your creativity looks different now that you're, um, no longer drinking or no longer smoking pot to kind of check out. Yeah. So part of it, it literally looks differently because I don't have crooked top stitching. (laughs) Right. right. It's flawless. But also too, yeah, like Sandra said, a lot of times I just was lazy and I wouldn't do it because, you know, drinking and smoking takes up so much time that you don't do it. And then the other part is because I had such limited time to actually make things, I would stick to more stuff that was very safe. I wouldn't try, you know, harder things or silhouettes that I wasn't sure of because I had such a limited amount of time. Um, So now I'll try whatever because it's like, okay, well, I have plenty of time. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. And that's okay. So it really removed a lot of the fear involved in creating too. Yeah. And you make a good portion of your clothing, right? Do you make everything you wear or is that your goal or what does that look like? Um, I pretty much make everything. I don't make like bras and underwear that I wear like daily, although I have made both of those. Um, Sometimes I'll buy jeans, but like I've also made jeans. I would say probably 90% of what I wear or 95% I made. Um, I I don't necessarily have like a goal to do it. It's just I'm picky. I have certain fabrics I like, certain cuts that I like, and it's just very fun to me to make new things. Can I reiterate something? Yeah. Nicole makes jeans. Jeans. Um, and, and I have seen her her <laughs> underwear and bralettes, I think, that she's made before on Instagram a long time ago. I think when we first got connected. Nicole, is that true? Did You made, like, lingerie. Yes. Yeah, I have. I, yeah, I looked at it and I was like, that's everything. It's so beautiful. And then one time you did a coat. Mm-hmm. The coat yeah. was just out of this world beautiful. I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I've done coats, bras, swimsuits, jeans, pants, dresses, I, pretty much everything on the list I've checked off at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's so right. So any of our listeners that are seamstresses, even if you just sew for yourself, um, you know what a big deal uh, sewing a pair of jeans would be, I, I would never attempt it actually. So I'm very much in awe of Nicole's technical skills. And I've told her that before. (laughs) Well, here's what's funny. I'm going to give a plug to one of my favorite pattern makers. Um, her name is Heather and she is a blogger and she has closet case files as the name of her patterns. Um, and she is big on having no fear. So her, like Mm -hmm. everything about her patterns, she tries to make patterns so accessible that they sound really scary, like jeans or a swimsuit with an underwire. Um, but she wants you to have no fear and just do it. 
That's that's like her entire motto. That is so awesome. I can hardly stand how awesome <laughs> that is. And then I guess the directions are very simple to understand. Yes, and very empowering. Like that sounds weird, but they're simple, but they also make you feel like such a badass for doing it. Like the last instruction will always be now put on your jeans and go be a badass or something like that. <laughs> oh my God. I love this so much. <laughs> That's so, great. The case files. They're amazing. Oh, well, I like that. I'm not a seamstress and I don't sew, but I've owned many a sewing machine and I end up giving them away because I only use them to sew on paper. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had grand ideas and hopes and dreams for myself to to have that be something that would stick for me. And it just, it never did. And finally, I think I gave myself permission in recovery. Like when I went into my studio, I was like, what, what's going to stick for me? That one didn't stick. But I love what, what you guys are doing and what you're making and showing. And it's like, it's, it's you got to find your thing, right? When you're in recovery. Right. You have to well, find and- it. I think specifically with sewing, there's two kinds of people. There are the people that are like you that tried it and then it's just not their thing. It doesn't click with them. They're not interested. But then there's the other, there's another group of people that are just paralyzed by perfectionism. Don't you agree? And they're afraid of, because you actually have to work with a piece of technology. They might be, or machinery, machinery, I guess. Sometimes, sometimes it is technological machinery. They're scared of that part of it. And so they're just completely, you know, paralyzed by fear or they, you know, look at someone else's finished product that, you know, and it could be somebody, a seamstress that has 10,000 hours of experience and they don't think that they could ever get to that place. I think that's me too. That's me too. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm completely paralyzed by fear and it, and it just knocks that option off the table. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting that that happened. I think you and I talked about Brooke Castillo, um, on her podcast when she talked, I think we talked about it on the, our, our episode that we talked about productivity, which brought up this conversation about fear, but where she talked about being the self, um, what is it? The self-called perfectionist. And, um, she said that they're, those type of people are scared people and that they're afraid of being judged. And I think that that is totally true, you know, mm-hmm. so, to some degree, not, not maybe a hundred percent, but you know, learning how to technically work a sewing machine and me having to uh, refill bobbins freaked me out. Right. And I just, I could figure it out, but I, it, I just didn't love it enough to keep pursuing it. Right. Um, so I, I don't know where the difference is. Like, did I fear it? I, it just didn't grab me. Same thing with, um, with, um, handwork with neat, with doing embroidery or doing letterpress. Although I try all these different things in these workshops and just the process, if I don't fully love the process, I can't move forward. I like I, to I see that as being different than fear because I've had some things like I've taken classes on modern calligraphy and like brush lettering. And I love watching people do that on Instagram. And I think it's beautiful, but I was kind of bad at it. And so initially I was like, well, is it just that I'm afraid of it and I'm being a perfectionist and that's why I don't want to do it. But yeah, I think what you're saying, I just didn't love the process. It was sort of boring. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had to just move on to find the thing because I knew I would find the thing if I kept trying. Um, so yeah, I guess that is different than fear, but that I, I love 
the fearless nature though of the making that you guys do with sewing and that you just the things that you're making yeah jeans I mean I know from just my father used to uh, my mom used to hem his jeans with like is it stitch witchery or which yes yeah <laughs> yeah I know stitch witchery yes. <laughs> so she would use that and it was always like magic right I was it really was like a witch magic you know it was like per, you know, she would do that but because the sewing needles for denim they're pretty sturdy right yeah they're thicker yeah Okay, I could talk all day about this, but um, <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> well, since we're talking already talking about fear, I have to ask. So we have to ask about roller derby because that because yeah. physical fear is a, a bit different. Although, um, as a seamstress, there can be some physical fear. You know, you can be afraid of you know getting stabbed by a needle, um, but roller derby is something I, I've considered it for years, but I'm way too afraid to get knocked on my ass. <laughs> how did you come to that, Nicole? How, how did that come into your life? So part of getting sober, I was so bored. I just needed like activities and I went kind of from one thing to the next, trying to find like what is going to bring me joy and fulfillment. Um, and I had rollerbladed as a kid, but I had never done like roller skates, quad skates. And I just really wanted to learn. And so um, a friend of mine in a Facebook group had told me, oh, well, you should join this class. It's all about roller derby. And I thought, OK, well, I really don't want to play roller derby because I don't want to get hit or get in fights or anything like that. I just want to skate. And that's all I'll do. Um, and I was terrified. But the first day of class, the instructor, who I love so much, literally made every girl come to the middle. And she said, repeat after me, I am going to fall. And it was so funny because everyone says it so timidly. We're like, I'm going to <laughs> fall, question mark. And she made us say it like 10 times. I'm not kidding. And by the end of that, I was like, OK, I'm going to fall and this is going to be OK. And just knowing it's okay to fail and have those little mistakes, that was so freeing, actually. I think that's so cool. I, there's something about just laying out the worst case scenario, right? Exactly. You know, just putting that out on the table. The worst case scenario is I'll fall. I could break something. I'd probably have to go to the hospital and be in a cast for a little while. Nah, it's probably the worst case yeah. scenario. Middle of the road scenario would be I'll have some bruises to yeah. contend with, right? Yeah, and even that, like, I'll find myself having bruises all over my body sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know how I got those. So that's not even really that bad. And yeah, I've seen friends have, like, serious stuff happen, like breaks or concussions, and there's risks. But... I just started loving the process so much that it was like, I can push through whatever this fear is of physical injury. Um, another thing, this is kind of segueing off the physical injury, but for me, a huge part of it has just been doing things that are hard and the fear of that, that what if I can't do the things that are hard because roller derby is really physically demanding. Um, what if everyone thinks I suck when I do the things that are hard? And that to me has been more difficult actually than the physical fear. Right. Getting over what other people think. Yeah. It's, it's all, it all relates to recovery, right? Like this, this, this fear that we have, like what, what our life could be like or what, what is waiting for us. If we could just like do the hard thing. 
Oh yeah, and you've already she... proven that you can, right? Like you, you've already stopped drinking and and, and smoking pot. So that's like, you, you've already done the hard thing. What's next, right? It makes it a little easier to kind of walk up to it. Right. I think, and I always say this, and I didn't make this up, but um, you know, there's a reason why we talk about expectations so much because it's it's going in if you go into something with no expectations. I think, and it's very hard to do. Yeah. So I, in my life, have always been a very fast learner, luckily. So I would typically be pretty good at stuff. And if I wasn't, it was just like I would immediately quit it. This isn't for me. And so with roller derby, kind of the same thing. I came to it and I was pretty good pretty quickly. Um, And when it got to that hard part, I had the expectation I shouldn't be having a hard time. It should always be easy and I should always be doing really well. And so for me, sticking with that and not quitting at that point was really hard. Like I'm going to have to continue to do something I'm not very good at yet. You know, there's always certain skills that take a long time to learn. Um, And just like sticking with that, even though it was hard, even though I don't know when the end is in sight and kind of realizing like there is no end. I'm always going to be working at something. I'm always going to be afraid of something and just kind of realizing that doesn't go away, but that means it's more worthwhile. Yeah. I feel like I, like when you do tackle something that you have a great fear of, it it just starts to kind of melt away, right? Like the, the, all the ideas and the thoughts we have beforehand that are kind of building up this huge emotion, um, like going back to college for me at 45, uh, 44, you know, I'm older than my professor, my first professors. I was older than them. Um, oldest one in the class feeling like everybody, nobody cared. <laughs> nobody right. knew. You know, it was all me, all that fear. And once I addressed it or did the thing that I was afraid of, and while it didn't disappear all at once, cause it took me about a year of being in school to go, it's my new normal now. And there's something kind of empowering about when you face a fear and you walk through it and you can look back and go, okay, well, that wasn't so bad. It wasn't all the hype, you know, that I gave, all the drama that I gave it, actually. The expectations. You expect that you're going to be treated differently. You're, you know, you can can project all the live long day how something's going to happen until you actually do the thing. And then you, and you get through it and you feel all the feelings associated with it. And right. And that's nine times out of 10, you're you reflect and think that exactly that it wasn't that bad. But we forget that so much. Like, how do we (laughs) just forget that every single time? I really feel like just talking about this kind of stuff is super important because I had a period. So I made what was called New Girl. I tried out and made New Girl, which is a really intense program to actually get into the TXRD Roller Derby League. And I had tons of fear and I freaked out and I quit two weeks in because I was like, I can't do this and just scheduling and everything. And I had this whole perception that nobody else was as scared as I was. And that everyone was going to expect me to be perfect. And I just couldn't live up to that expectation. And so I actually talked to some of the girls who were in the league and they were like, we're all terrified too. Like the only thing is we didn't quit. Um, Mm. And one of them actually shared a video with me from a Navy SEAL, some captain or so I'm saying it wrong, I'm sure. But uh, he was a top guy and he was saying, okay, everyone's going to have fear. um, But the important thing is that you just don't quit. 
And someone was asking him, well, how can I get through Navy SEALs training? You know, do I just need to prepare the right way? Is it my nutrition? Do I need to do more push-ups? Like, what can I actually do to make sure I get through Navy SEALs all the way? And he just said, the only way to make sure you get through is just don't quit. Like, you don't need to prepare in any special way. You don't need to be a perfectionist and have, like, the perfect plan. Just come in with no expectations and just keep going and don't quit. And that's literally the only way to get through the fear. Wow. I love that. That's true, right? (laughs) Right. Hmm. Wise guy. He's a very wise man. Well, there's some acronyms I looked up for fear. And so that what you're saying right now, Nicole, like, um, when you were getting worked up before going and two weeks before you were supposed to try out, but there's one and maybe you've heard it, it's called, um, so the acronym would be false evidence appearing real. And we kind of create a little bit of, of that, you know, as we're kind of facing the fear, right? We start adding in all these other things like, you know, everybody wants me to be perfect. That's not true. Right. right. Like that's just not, that's just not a fact, but we start creating, um, it's almost like we're making a case for ourselves to back out, like to, to run the other way. Right. Or to keep yourself small or in the comfortable cushy place. Yeah. Another one is frantic effort to avoid reality. And that one I kind of liked, I was like, Oh, that's me for sure. That, 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 that one, that one resonates with me. I think that especially goes well with the perfectionism stuff because I think you look at someone who has like amazing um, art or is a great seamstress or is really good at roller derby and you think like, oh, they're just superhuman. How did they get this good? And you forget that they were just like you and they just worked their way up. Like you create this whole false reality in your head of why you're different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they were just magically born with that particular talent, which is almost never the case. Right. You don't see the 10,000 hours they put in or whatever amount of hours that it is that they put in. Right. To the work, you know, to do the foundation work so that they can, so that they can, you know, get hit without breaking their arm or hurting themselves or on, on, on your roller derby track. I'm sure those women have been, I mean, practicing for years. Right. Right. I, um, do you have another acronym? Sure. Oh, go ahead, because I was going to jump in with something. But you have another acronym. We'll I was just going to save it for later, but I could give it now if you want. That's my last one. Um, this was what I just thought, like, face everything and recover is another one. And that's a more positive kind of when you are feeling fear, if you just face it. And I love that. I thought when I do face my fear and walk through it, I feel like a total badass. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and that is the thing too. That feeling once you get through something is like the best feeling in the world. I felt that last week when I was hiking and we were doing this. I think I think I talked about it a little bit um, before, but we did this really hard hike and it was starting to get hot and, you know, the altitude is different. And so it's already harder to breathe. And it was had been a straight up climb for a really long time. And my fingers started tingling. Like I almost felt like I was hyperventilating. And I've talked about my panic attack before. And I have the healthy fear of having another one. And um, I didn't think I could get to the top or get to where we wanted to stop. We didn't actually go to the top. But um, 
and I didn't think I could do it, but I stopped for a minute and just like, okay, I collected myself. I'm not going to die here. This is just, uh, I'm just pushing my body into unnormal circumstances and, uh, I'm not going to die. I'm going to be okay. And kept going. And man, when we got, when we reached our destination, I was, well, I was elated because I was very high up 7,000 something feet, but I felt on top of the world that I did it. I mean, I was high five in the universe. (laughs) It's like Laura McCowan has said that thing about her favorite feeling is not running, but having ran. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I, that resonates with me for sure. I I think this mountain metaphor, (laughs) um, when I was sober at six months, I uh, summited Mount Lassen with my good friend and our children. And we went on a four mountain tour that um, two years ago in August. And um, our final mountain was Mount Rainier, which I don't know if you guys know, but it has like a, a vertical ice field um, oh, wow. that we yeah. had to climb. And during our training, you know, when she was telling me to get crampons for my hiking boots, I'm like, why? Like, I, I didn't even ask the questions because I didn't really fully understand what I had signed on to. So I didn't have a lot of fear as I was training because I didn't, wasn't smart enough to research it. You were in that state of blissful <laughs> ignorance, <laughs> which is a good way to go about yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. And two years prior, she had taken me to Mount Rainier to do a, a tiny hike that I did in Converse and that scared the heck out of me because it was on snow and ledges. And so I knew enough to be afraid of Mount Rainier, but I didn't fully understand like that was a walk in the park. What we did initially, the second one was really dangerous. People die up there. Um, I fell and rolled down the, um, the ice field and almost cracked my head. Um, you had to be really careful. Our children just frolicked up the mountain and frolicked down, and they they were our teachers that day. They were like the guides. And I think there is that, that blissful ignorance for me. I mean, you want to be safe with what you're doing, of course. And we were equipped because she is very, um, very equipped with, with all of these trips. She has a spreadsheet and everything we're supposed to bring. And normally that's me, but when I travel with her, I just kind of go along like I know... She's considered everything. Um, when I got down off that mountain, I felt like a billion dollars. I just felt like I was high as a kite, like what you just said, Sandra. And I felt like that was the hardest thing next to, um, to childbirth. I think I've ever done in my life and to know that you have done it and kind of, even though I went into it a little bit ignorant to what was actually, you know, what it was going to be like, um, I just, it gave me the boost of self-confidence that I could do anything. I think there's definitely something to that blissful ignorance too, because I've seen so many brand new people, you know, they strap on their pads and put on their skates and then they fall and they're like, well, I guess I'm just not good at this. I need to stop. Um, And what the instructor has told so many people is, well, when you're a little kid and you're learning how to walk, you're not just like, oh, I fell once. I guess I'm not good at walking. I'll never learn this. You just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And if you do, you will be so proud of yourself. Exactly like you said. Yeah. It's like a hot, it's like a total different high. 
And I don't know about you, Nicole, but when I, when I quit drinking, that was kind of the same thing. Like the more I tallied up days and kind of went like, huh, so I've gone, I've gone six months here. Huh. That's, I, I can kind of do anything I set my mind to. Like I felt it really empowering, um, as I kind of got a little bit more sobriety under my belt, I felt like this is something that I kind of absentmindedly just did. I just drank and partied and stayed up too late and made bad decisions. It was a very passive kind of just like, Oh, this is just how it is. But to like, to know that you can set your mind to changing your life and to doing something really hard and like you getting bruises in roller derby. Well, I got bruises all the time from drinking that I didn't know where they came from. So it's like... mm-hmm. I was thinking of that too. <laughs> the mystery bruises is what I like to call them. At least now you know where they're coming from. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that must have happened on the track. I don't remember when, but it, it must have happened. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's the shape of a wheel. Maybe that's when so-and-so stepped on me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at least I wasn't all drinking. <laughs> yeah, you can put it together. You can You can figure that out. Well, I put out a question to one of um, a, a secret Facebook group that I'm in a, about fear and asked um, members to chime in with a sentence of things they thought about fear. And one thing that's come up a couple of times is uh, how all other feelings masquerade as fear, like a f- stress or feeling itchy or uncomfortable or out of place, how um, all of those things are actually fear. Just dressed up a little differently. Exactly, right? Yeah, I feel like personally I relate to that so much. And I think Tammy had said something about this before, but pretty much any excuse I can ever come up with, I find fear behind it. Even stuff like, well, it's really hot in the uh, warehouse that we practice in right now and there's no AC and, you know, I might get heat stroke or something. Maybe I can't go to practice today. And it's it's that I'm actually just afraid of exerting myself in those conditions. It's going to be fine. I'm going to have Gatorade and stuff. But every excuse I can come up for why I can't do something, I always find fear behind it. Mm-hmm. Procrastination. Hello. Right? <laughs> Yeah. Speaking to the queen over here. (laughs) Yeah. Or with creativity, I would have excuses like, oh, and this reminds me of kind of the swimsuit that you made. Well, this fabric, you know, it's so precious. I can't cut into this. And it's just that I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up or, you know, waste my time. And there's always fear. (laughs) Well, there's fear. I think you and I, Nicole, have had exchanges about this. Like, um, you had shared about when I, I think, I don't know if I shared about writing gratitude lists or something about how we used to just say things were like stupid, right? Like I was really just afraid of things, of, of writing a gratitude list or of having someone tell me what to do. And so I would, my fear would manifest itself as just like dismissal. Like, no, that's oh, too right. dumb. That's yeah, way too contempt. dumb. <laughs> yeah. Your contempt prior to investigation was mm-hmm. most likely fear. <laughs> yeah. Uh- For sure. And like I said, I had that whole phase where I was like, I'm super intellectual. I'm also an atheist. So it's like anything like a gratitude list was like, oh, someone might think, you know, what do I believe? Am I a witch or something? Like, I just would jump to the worst case of what is everyone else going to think of me? Yeah. That's what stopped. (laughs) And you know, they're not thinking any, you know what I mean? Like if they do, it's like for a second and it leaves their mind. Like it's not, it's funny how the fear of what other people think 
can drive us. Like I know it drove me for years. Exactly. And the first thing I learned, and I guess I probably heard this in the rooms and it resonated or it spoke to me in such a loud voice that it has stuck that people only think about themselves and they think about you. I mean, way far less than you think they do. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. Pe- people aren't sitting around thinking about you all the time. They're thinking about themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Newsflash, right? Um, well, I had an idea and I was just thinking about this today since you guys were, you know, so awesome to get together and Nicole opened up her home for you to record there. That collaboration for me, I just wanted to throw this out there. Like, I feel like that quells some of my fear. I feel like when I can do it with another person, that helps me get my foot in the door. I know with Sandra last summer when we started talking and dreaming up all these different creative projects, I know that kind of banding together with her to say, okay, let's do this. Let's do this art exchange. Let's start here, you know? And then after um, Casey passed away in February, I came home with like this renewed, like, Sandra, what are we waiting for? Let's just try it. Let's just try this podcast and see what we can, you know, see what happens. But to do that alone, for me to just go on the air or to, to just record these things by myself in my studio, that felt like it would have been a lot longer before that could happen. What do you guys think? Like, do you, do you find comfort in with others, like with your team, Nicole or Sandra, do you find that when you collaborate with others? So that's funny because I feel like my gut is to go the opposite. Like if <laughs> I'm having trouble with a skill, I would rather work on it by myself. And I think so much of that is that I still have a fear of like, what if they see that I'm not the best at this thing? And a lot of that's just the way that I grew up. There was a lot of pressure to like, second place was seen as really bad in my household. Um, So I think I'm more turned away from that, even though I know it would be good for me. I'd rather do it solo. Or if I feel confident in it, I would like to be the teacher. But it's very hard for me right now to just be like an equal or the person who doesn't know what's what they're doing. Do you feel like your your team like you have you can't do it alone with roller derby, right? I mean, you have to work together. Yes, you have to work together. And I feel like it does just make me try and be like the best that I can be for the team, Mm -hmm. not necessarily for myself. Um, So there is that. But I and that's a good way to show up, right? Yeah, that's your way in. That's like maybe the beginning of of feeling different. Who knows? I mean, you'll, you're the one that'll be able to know that. But I, I like that. I like that you're part of something more than you too. You know what I mean? Like that makes it because you get to celebrate it with everyone too. That's true. Like there is this feeling that you get when you skate in what's called a pack, which it's like, it feels almost like a beehive or something. Like you literally hear like the wheels on the track and like you, it sounds so corny, but like you sometimes get chills from it. Just like feeling everyone like in sync and kind of like rotating around together. Um, I love that. But yeah, I think it's cause you're, yeah, you're part of something bigger. And I guess at that moment, I'm not thinking so much about myself. It's just, I want the team to do well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Energy. yeah. <clears throat> For me, in collaboration, I just feel safer. I just feel like there's a little extra safety net uh, there for me. You know, when I go into something with you, Tammy, or with anyone, um, it just feels like there's a softer landing, like there's a little more cushion. Um, If failure were, if failure happened 
to be a part of the collaboration. <laughs> At least I was sharing that with somebody else and it just would feel a little more safe. Like I wouldn't have to take all of that on myself. Yeah. And I, I feel like I only can maybe feel the way I, I do right now about collaboration because I had all this fear before. Right. And I've slowly been trying to shed it. Um, as I recover, I've, you know, gotten a little stronger and we, we do a lot of self-care and recovery and we do a lot of, um, things to kind of strengthen our, for me, my creative voice. And every time I do something that's new, um, I did a gratitude workshop where Nicole, you were there in Austin and we didn't really know what we were going to talk about per se or how that was going to go, but we just did it anyway to do that. I did that alone, um, a couple weeks ago and I wasn't as afraid because I'd already done it with you and with those women that were in that room in Austin. So it felt like, um, not ripping off the bandaid, but kind of slowly peeling it back. Like, okay, it doesn't hurt that bad. Um, but I, I love it. It also inspires me to want to do other things. Right. I kind of can feed off of that energy of another person and what they bring to it. I like my alone time. I think we all love our alone time. I think we can all say that in our studios or in our spaces, but, um, collaboration has kind of helped me, um, face my fears, I guess. Yeah, I think that's very true. Like the more I sit here and think about it, it is the team that pushes me to do stuff that's really scary. I think I still have like this fear of, well, I shouldn't have to rely on my team so much. Like I should be so strong that I can be like the superhero of the team, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, that's just another fear and excuse. But (laughs) yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's the team that pushes me to do the scary stuff. Well, and you also share your finished results on Instagram, which you probably have a sewing community there that you've made. And that's, that's, that's almost a a kind of a form of collaboration because you're putting yourself out there to get feedback from other people in the community. And, um, you know, you could not do that. You could stay fearful and not do that. See, I think part of that is almost like I said, once I feel like, oh, I can teach people, I have something to offer now, then I feel less afraid of doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I feel like, oh, I'm not an absolute expert on this yet, for some reason, it makes me clam up more. So yeah, again, that's fear manifesting. And that means I need to push through that. I I think that's so interesting. Uh, What were you going to say, Tammy? No, I was there's a there's a thing I'm doing this week on, on Instagram and it was, it's a week long challenge to share your studio space, your practice and, um, insanely inspired Instagram is the hashtag. And yesterday's prompt was to share, um, works in progress, nothing perfect. Um, nothing finished, only something that you were in the middle of. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. But I see why they did it, right? To show that, because if you just always show the end perfect product, that is kind of, um, it's a well, version. Well, you're not inspiring anyone, really. No, it's a version of perfection right? that's unattainable and that isn't true, really. Like you didn't get to that finished painting. It took you eight weeks of painting every single day and it looked crazy in the beginning. I love seeing that kind of stuff, yet it is harder for me to share the messy instead of the finished. So that was a good challenge. 
I really like that as a challenge because it's funny. There's like this whole joke that my husband and I have. If I'm ever writing something like a blog post and if he comes and reads it like mid writing, I flip out like it's not done yet. Get away. And it's the same with like even a roller derby skill. If I'm working on it, it's like I don't want anyone to see it until it's polished and perfect. Mm -hmm. And so I like that as a challenge, like not just showing, oh, look, I can do the thing now showing the work it took to do the thing. I find that I'm most interested in following people on social media that show that kind of the rawness, the realness, even when people are writing or sharing the thing, their thoughts on um, recovery, especially, I know I'm drawn to that, um, that it's not an easy, perfect, like we're all just not unicorns and rainbows. Like we were, you know, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about Sandra's three years and my 12 steps. The process of all of that was a whole bunch of work. Oh, yeah. You know, so yeah. having the cloud nine moment and being super on top of things, that's great. But there was just a boatload of stuff that you had to do to get there. And, and right. so there's value. It's definitely in a journey to get right to get to my cloud nine that I'm experiencing right now. And that was spending a lot of time in the valley <laughs> and the forest. Yeah. Back in the valley. When I um, I was just thinking about fear. Um, so indulge me for a second. When I started writing my column for, um, the recovery revolution online, I, I sent them a, um, an idea that I had that, Oh, Hey, I'm going to do the 12 steps. Maybe I'll write about it. Not knowing that that was probably pretty frowned on, (laughs) frowned upon by AA. Um, I kind of did that naively. And Chris at, at recovery revolution said, yeah, that sounds great. Go ahead. Um, I'll make a column called crossing the room and you can go ahead and, you know, write about your step process. So I did like the first one and it was after I finished the first one that, so the fear set in after I did it because I did, did the first one. And then as you go through the 12 steps and as you're listening and in the rooms, like you're not really supposed to talk about it too much, right? Like you're supposed to really just model it. Just, you don't have to belabor it. So then I got really fearful of doing that column. And I'd have to have a real good talk with myself beforehand. Like, this is just my story. This is just my experience. And I wish that someone had written about this when I was going through it, not to tell me what to do, because I realized that's not how it works, but just so that I wouldn't be so afraid of even starting. And so I kind of turned around my fear of what other people thought, or if I'd get a letter from the organization telling me to, you know, stop writing about that. That's never happened. That fear was completely consuming me when I was writing my step two column, my step three column, my step four. And then finally around step five, I was like, okay, this is just my experience. I'm going to share it and not overthink it. Um, anyhow, it taught me a ton about that all came from me. Nobody, nobody put that on me. Nobody, um, told me not to write it, told me not to share it. That was all me like manifesting my own reality of fear. And I think you can, for me, I can change that dialogue. It's all up to me. I mean, I guess for anything that we face that we have fear, I realize that I'm creating a lot of drama when I, when I, um, when I'm sitting and kind of living and occupying that space. And, um, that column has kind of taught me a few things about writing about, about the 12 steps. And maybe I need to be a little bit more respectful of a few things or, leave a few things out, but I'm still glad I did it. And it was extremely, extremely, um, fear producing. 
<clears throat> in this um, Facebook thread that I started about fear, somebody mentioned that um, choosing gratitude over fear can keep you grounded. And I think that's an interesting way of handling fear. I Don't agree. you? I agree. I agree. I think that the best, um, not the best, the easiest gratitude lists I've written have been when I've been full of fear or I've been in really hard, scary situations. That's when I kind of can dig the deepest. I know in terms of something like roller derby, um, I love watching like the brand new people and being like, wow, I was there one day Mm -hmm. and I can remember being one of those brand new people and watching the more advanced people and being like, I can never do that, but maybe one day. And so, yeah, just like having gratitude for where I came from makes that the long, long, long road to actually being super good ahead. It makes that road so much easier feeling. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, quitting drinking was probably one of the scariest things I've ever done ever really. And, Mm. you know, besides having babies, I think it was, it's probably second behind that. And, um, but because I have so much gratitude in that and think I did that. So there's everything else is pretty much limitless, right? (laughs) I mean, there's, there's some things that we're just physically limited from, or, you know, we just aren't ever going to have that skill or talent. Um, but having gratitude in that really, uh, grounds me like, like this person said, grounds me and, and, makes me so much less fearful. Well, it gives you perspective when I can sit down and actually, you know, when I finally got over myself as well with these lists, when I resisted them in the beginning, when my sponsor had suggested I write a 30 item gratitude list, you know, and I thought it was so ridiculous of a request, but I did it because I was willing to do what she asked, you know, and hoping that I would learn something from it. And I did, of course, that's how it works as well. But the gratitude that I, my perspective just shifted in the everyday since I've started writing these lists and how I can take a, a hard situation and, um, find gratitude in it. And that, that is, that's like a monumental change to my psychic, um, being because yes, I, I like it feel cut that way new, actually cut new grooves in my brain, I think. <laughs> yeah. And it was from reading, um, Nicole, I'm part of a gratitude circle with Sandra and, when I read the other women's lists, that's when things started clicking for me. It wasn't my own list that started making a difference. It was when I was reading other people's lists and I was like, Oh, they're grateful for clean water and a full fridge. Oh yeah, I could use that. Yeah, I am too. And I would kind of steal from their lists and go, and then you could start glimpsing your life a little differently when, when we do that. And, uh, that helped me yeah, I think I think the shift in gratitude for sure kind of changes my fear of things. Like I can see other people doing it too. Mm-hmm. Because you feel okay. Like I'm okay. I, you know, I may have these fears, but I'm okay, and I'm gonna be okay. Well, and I think even just on a surface level, like actually being grateful for the fear itself, like fear as an indicator of that probably means you're doing something that's Mm -hmm. worthwhile. Like it makes me think of that quote, Tammy, that you shared. Um, 
I forget which podcast it came from, but something about like discomfort is the currency of your dreams. Hmm. If you have fear, be grateful because that means like you're moving in the right direction probably. Yeah, I like that too. I don't remember saying that, but yes, I like that. <laughs> you said it like three, three podcasts ago. What? Maybe? See, I'm 46, Nicole. Stay I forget. Smart I forget things. things. <laughs> forget a lot of things these days. No, there's um, there's just so many lessons that are wrapped up in this. And when you started this thread on the Facebook page, so many people chimed in, which was like, "Oh, Nicole just nailed it on the head here. Like this is this is a good conversation. People." It, this people can relate to this. And uh, I think the question was talking about like it, why fear can be good. And I think the things we've just talked about here are totally, you know, it can, it can motivate you. It can push you through. It can show you what you're capable of. And um, I like that, you know, seeing how different people embrace it. Like you, Nicole, you're just like a beautiful example to me of, of, of embracing some, that had to be hard. That has to be hard to go out there and do what you do in roller derby but your smile when you sent me that picture of you sitting on the ground um, that I did your ray of light artwork with you're smiling like so big you're beaming it was just the epitome of of recovery and of bravery and I just I loved it I love that image and it's funny sometimes when we're going around the track and it's like 100 degrees in the warehouse and you're all beat up, like we'll say to each other, I hate roller derby. Why am I doing this? And it is just that you love it so much that you keep doing it, even though it's scary and it beats you up. And I mean, even it's been about a year for me and I'm scared every time I get on that track. But again, that just to me means that it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Well, and even if it's just for the photos of you guys, because I have not seen a roller derby photo where everyone just doesn't look like an extreme badass, <laughs> right? <laughs> what about the ones where we're on the ground? Maybe not just still. Still I'm, look really I'm tough. Still going with the badass. <laughs> do you have like a, a name or a persona um, that you inhabit when you do that, or how does that work? So I'm still toying around with that. I have like a bunch of different names in my head, but I haven't selected a final. Okay. Uh, Screamstress is one of them. My husband doesn't like <laughs> Oh, I like that one. <laughs> I like it, but he doesn't. Um, other ones, Nicole Hearted is what I'm cu- currently sort of toying around with. Um, some are just crazy. One is Haley Joel Omelette instead of <laughs> Haley Joel Osmond. I like so I it. have no idea. <laughs> I like that. That reminds me of Sandra's uh, daughter's improv. I was just thinking name. of that too. <laughs> so you have to go. With, you have to have a child mindset and just pick something, yes. even you know, and just stick with it. Like my daughter's um, improv troupe is named Popcorn Banana Pants, and you know, they just—I mean, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. And I'm sure that there was, you know, other variations of the name, but. They were like, okay, that's it. We've nailed it, and we're just going with it. Yeah, <laughs> No it's, regrets. It's good because I haven't forgotten it, and that's been, you know, good 10 months ago. Like, I still – that name stays in my head, and that's kind of what you're looking for, right? A moniker or a persona that's going to stay with people, right? Yes. I'm like, maybe I'll pick that one. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, we're getting to a point where we should probably wrap it up. Is there anything, Sandra, that you wanted to ask before we go to our three things? No, I think, um, I think we've, we covered it. I, I, oh, hey, um, Nicole has more things to say, but I think that I'm 
done talk. Oh, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to say. Um, this the question that I put out this morning. Someone posted uh, a note on their that their teenager wrote, and it's on her door. And I just want to read it because it's just precious. Um, it, it's from her from this woman's. 14-year-old daughter, and it said, fear is just another reason to try harder. Always do the thing you're afraid to do. And I just love that so much. I hope that um, we're raising daughters to think like this. Yeah. Well, Nicole, what do you want to share? How do you want to? So actually, just kind of piggybacking piggybacking on what Sandra said, um, I just wanted to underscore that fear for me never really goes away. But like I said, it just means it's more reason to push forward. Um, I've talked to even some of like the very best skaters in our league who everyone just knows are amazing. And they all talk about still feeling fear. Mm. It changes, you know, when you're that good, the fear becomes more about you don't want to disappoint your team. You don't want to score fewer points than you usually score. But there's always some kind of fear. And so I just wouldn't want anyone to think like, oh, well, eventually when I get good enough, I'll stop being afraid. I'll just be fearless. Yeah, I don't think you're ever fearless. You can be courageous. Yes. I like that, yeah. feel the fear and just keep going, knowing that it's worthwhile. Oh, I like that. That's a beautiful way to end, Nicole. Thank you. Um, if, as you, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that we share three our three like favorite little tools that we put in our unruffled toolbox. And for those of people who are listening who don't know what an unruffled toolbox is, it's something that unruffled means to be calm and not agitated. And it's just something that helps bring us, you know, back to calm. And that could be create creatively, that could be um, in terms of recovery. And so we ask our guests to share three things that are in their unruffled toolbox. And um, Nicole, what you got? So my first one might sound funny for a roller derby person, but um, secular Buddhism, actually. <laughs> uh, so like I said, you're one with the, the pavement. <laughs> Well, I have tried so hard to think of a name that somehow builds off of that because I think it would be hilarious, but I can't think of anything yet. But so anyone out there, if you can think of a great roller derby name off Buddhism, let me know. Uh, But secular Buddhism and the way I got into that was there's actually a podcast that is literally called Secular Buddhism. Um, And the first five episodes really just kind of explain what it's all about. Um, But essentially, it's about seeing reality for how it really is seeing suffering for how it really is and ways that you can relieve that kind of suffering. And so I think that's really in line with stuff like recovery because it's just accepting how reality is, not arguing against it anymore because you realize that just adds more pain on top of pain and that's what suffering is. And um, also I think that's really good for emotional sobriety because it teaches you that there's no real fix. There's always problems things are always changing and just accepting whatever comes your way and not looking for any external fix. Mm, I like that. And it's called secular Buddhism podcast. Simple. Yes. And then there's, of course, there's also um, like Pima, Pema, however you say her name, um, Headspace, Live Awake or Live Awake. I don't know how they say that. Uh, Tara Brock. They're all really good resources for secular Buddhism. 
I've listened to that Live Awake or Live Awake. Um, that woman, what's her voice? Uh, what's her name? The beautiful. Um, I don't know, but her voice is amazing. <sighs> yeah, I um, Natalie turned me on to her. And is this I the Sierra like, Blondin? Yes. Thank okay. you. Okay. Yes, her voice is just, I could listen to it all day long. Do whatever she said. I'd be in a trance. Okay, I'll do it as long as she's talking. All right, so that's your first one. What's your second one? Um, my second one, this is really general, but just trying new things. Um, that was huge for me in sobriety. That still is huge for me. Um, I tend to still, I just said, oh, don't look for external stuff. But I tend to still like excitement and adventure. And for me, instead of drinking or smoking, I get that through just like taking a new class. Like um, a couple weeks ago, I took a screen printing class with one of my friends. Um, I try new patterns. I try new recipes. Just creating excitement that sometimes in sobriety you have so much ritual that for me it can feel boring and so creating excitement through healthy good things that enrich my life I am so with you I have said this from the very beginning but monotony the fear of monotony is what is one of the things that kept me from getting sober even though I didn't realize that my life had become very monotonous I thought that it led to my spontaneity and um so that's a thing that I have to do. It's I think monotony would kind of be a uh, would kill my sobriety. Now I like structure mm-hmm. and I do like ritual, but um, but I have to stay. I have to keep trying new things, just like you said. I love that. Yeah, I my word for the year is dare, Nicole, and I have been daring myself to do things that I wouldn't normally do. And that has helped as kind of having that word kind of guide me through the year. Like when I go to look, I'm like, oh, I I don't know if I should sign up for that. And I don't know if I want that teacher. No, I just dare myself to do it and go, it'll be like an experiment. It's like research. Yeah, just try it. It, You might find it's not for you, but just keep trying stuff. Yeah. All right. What's your third? Um, And my third one, it's also general, but just quiet or rest time Um, because I have so much stuff that is like new things and extreme roller derby, just honoring like when my body needs to rest. Um, Part of that is sleep. I like to get like seven to nine hours is ideal. Um, I also really love restorative yoga and I'm not even talking about like yin yoga where it's slow. I'm talking about like restorative yoga where you do three poses in 90 minutes and it's like nap time yoga. <laughs> like there's pillows and I can get behind napping yoga. Yes. Yeah. Not know about you, Sammy. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not real great at yoga. So I, that's, I, you're speaking my language right now, Nicole. <laughs> well, it's funny because so many people hate it. They say they can't shut their brains down during that. But I just like I can just go to sleep during it and I highly recommend searching out restorative yoga with all the props okay well we did yoga next to each other in Austin right Nicole yes but that was pretty intense yes it was (laughs) but I had to that's why I went back in the corner so if I had to giggle or um just take a break (laughs) yeah I I felt safe there I have a really hard time. It's funny, Laura mentioned this actually in the last workshop that she did here in Austin, which was on fear. And she talked about how a lot of people, when they're afraid, they tend to avoid their emotions by going like really deep into intense stuff. Like they'll go full force into a pose and just like let their minds fall away in the pose. And I'm like, oh, yes, I also play roller derby. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for me to step back and like just rest 
and have my mind be quiet. And so trying to choose that stuff more often is very helpful to me. I like that one. Well, thanks, Nicole. Yeah, I like, I'm sorry. Now I'm, I'm going to be ruminating on that one for a little while (laughs) (laughs) because I am a doer and I think it's because sometimes I have fear around, you know, what will fall apart if I just lay down and and close my eyes or meditate for an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one for me. Yeah. Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> well, I do a daily nap, so I'm a big fan of the big 15, 20 minute power nap. And that is my quiet. Like that's because, yeah, there's all these things to do, right? As women, we have a million things to do always, and that's not going to go away. But to kind of carve out that time, it's like permission, giving yourself permission to just slow down and quiet your mind. That feels really indulgent. Yeah, that's what I'm having to learn. Like I grew up in a household where we would literally be punished for taking naps. Like it was, and I'm not joking, like you had to be always productive and like a nap. I still, if I take a nap as an adult, I wake up in like a panic state, like, ah, what's going to happen? And so, yeah, I think that's why I like going to restorative yoga and having that permission to just like be quiet and not think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you. I think our, our listeners have commented um, and said that they really enjoy these three things at the end of the podcast. So I appreciate you giving the time and energy into sharing, you know, yeah. what works for you. Those were good. Yeah. I agree. Well, all right, ladies, I guess okay. we're going to sign off. I guess you two get to have some more girl time while I, while I go into the studio. Yeah. Nicole um, and I are just probably, uh, going to wrap up as well i'm sure she has a life to get back to or i could just hang out on her couch for a while and (laughs) we'll have more tea i like our on location interviews this could be the start of some travel sandra i can see it now (laughs) oh okay well get ready then because i think we're manifesting this Uh uh-oh you know how i feel about that all right (laughs) you guys have a great day thanks nicole okay Bye. bye The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening.